Hi everyone, hoping your 2022 is off to a good start. We are back with episode 41 of AIR, an interview podcast series with a different theme each episode. Joining me today is Spanish producer and DJ Silvia Jimenez Alvarez, also known as Jazz. Sylvia's music first caught attention in 2017 when she put out her debut album, Weightless, on Portuguese label Ideal Recordings. The record was well-loved for its heavy use of drone, its avant-garde sound, and its industrial mood, terms that Jazz's intense DJ sets also came to be celebrated for. Now a seasoned artist in her prime, her sophomore record, A World of Service, out now on Osgood Ton, continues to explore those primal tones, not only in its sound, but also in its visual elements and a custom-made scent that accompanies each vinyl. As such, Sylvia and I sat down to talk about music as a sensory experience, how we experience music through each of our five senses, how factors like drug use, social context, and emotionality enhance our artistic world, and the role of memory in our love of music. so much for taking the time to speak with me. I'm really excited to have this conversation. Thank you for inviting me. Me too. (laughs) So I'm going to start with a rather sort of broad question, but I would love to know when was the last time that you had a musical experience that touched all of your senses, that kind of had this total sensory experience? Hmm. I I feel like in this, you know, this TV show where like you, you can win like a million dollars or something like that. And you have like, <laughs> I almost want to call someone and be like, do you remember when was the last time I actually, you know, had like this like crazy. I guess it's hard because also we haven't been out properly in a while. I mean, I haven't personally. Yeah. So. so I had to like really look back. Like, I mean, my, my mind goes like immediately by default to when I saw the Depeche Mode playing, but but that's I think is because it goes like to the peak of like things basically Mm -hmm. and when was that the second time was here in Berlin maybe like I don't know if it's four years ago or something and like it was in the stadium and that was very exciting because it was also pouring rain and it was like I don't know it was like exciting because you got all wet and there was like a lot of people this was in the summers I think it was in the summer but the 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 one that I think of, I think it was the first time I saw the Pitch Mode playing, which was like way back in Spain, and I believe that it was like one of the first concerts of the tour that they did when they had like I don't know like a compilation or something like this, and it was like a two hour and a half concert, and I was like first time seeing you know 
Depeche Mode, you know, and I was like completely overwhelmed and crying. And, yeah. <laughs> what was so special about it? So they're actually really, really good. They're really impressive. Like it's a really good band. And um, and, and I, I don't know, like I, I have like, uh, I was starstruck by all of them, like seeing them there, you know, like I was finally seeing Depeche Mode. I mean, they were already like kind of, you know, middle age and you know <laughs> so it was like yeah yeah and it was my first time so yeah amazing and what was the venue like like what was it that made it sort of this total sensory experience for you I think it was just my connection to it mm. the venue I mean the ve- the venue was a football stadium mm. and I don't know if that had anything to do with it because at the time I didn't have that many experiences in general with live concerts mm-hmm. So it was um, it was really overwhelming, but I think it's because I was such a fan mm. that it was just like, yeah. Also, it was a present from a friend. So he came like, oh, wow, we're like driving there and going to see that. <laughs> That's so nice. I mean, I hadn't thought about the idea of like a deeper connection to the music actually sort of increasing this like intensity of the experience. Um, it's interesting that you say that. And I think that it's quite tricky to achieve this whole like touching every sense. Um, But I think it can be something that happens at a gig without us really realizing it, just sort of naturally, you know, you're feeling the bass and there's maybe like lights and visuals and like you're drinking and you have that sort of taste and and the scent of the room and the people around you. Um, So do you think that any night out can have that sort of effect? It depends on your drugs, but (laughs) But I mean, I, th- I I say that completely seriously. Like, I mean, it depends on your drugs. You would be um, sign- significantly affected. So it's just, you know, your your senses just like open in different in different ways. But I, no, I don't think you can have it in you can have it in any situation. I think it's, you know, I think I'll, um, there's like people that put a lot of work in trying to make people have that situation that. That feeling. I'm actually now remembering that some, like in some years ago, I also saw Wolfeyes in Berkheim, and mm-hmm. I really liked it, but it made me physically sick. Mm, interesting. Like really. In a bad way. Yeah, yeah. It w- I was feeling. I started feeling sick, and I think it was because of the sound pressure. Mm, interesting. Like I was like in the in front, and I started like feeling this like, yeah, I started feeling sick. Yeah, I guess it can also be. Uh, yeah, I hadn't thought of that either. I guess it can can also be super overwhelming sometimes, and I I I've, I've found that kind of similar experience in Berkheim sometimes mm-hmm. when you're on the dance floor and there's just so many people that it can be like quite a lot. You know what I mean? Also, if you're alone, I think sometimes the experience can be a lot more intense than if you're with friends. Like you can kind of get lost in things a lot more. Mm-hmm, definitely you you just like interact with things in a complete different way which is really refreshing in a, in my opinion do you go out alone very often no because <laughs> i because i actually don't even go out very often yeah at night. so do you think that it's important to have all of those sensations like is it maybe even essential to having the music be the most successful it can be? Like I'm thinking, for example, something like live streams where the other senses are sort of cut off from the experience. Is it important to actually like be physically present, have, you know, the feel of the bass and all these other things working in tandem with the music? Definitely. I mean, there's no point. Like I feel like in terms of like 
showcasing music, getting to know music, getting to know people and artists. And I think in, in the research part of it is great, but to experience music, you definitely need a... I think music is um, very largely made to enjoy in a different place than your head or your house. I mean, in your head is always going to happen, yeah. but like, it's not like a, it doesn't need to be always a solitary experience that goes without saying. And I think it's a very important part. Like the part that is like social about it is uh, hugely important for me, obviously. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Like, I think it's really part of the, of the experience because it's channeling. Like I can, that's why it's so attached to memories as well. Like I literally see people when I hear things. So mm-hmm. it's like this connection or moments or situations or like a smell or like, you know. Mm. I'm going to come back to this idea of memories that you just brought up, but I'd love to know a bit more about this connection between the senses and the musical experience. Like when did you first realize how crucial that connection between the senses is for a musical experience? I don't know. I don't know if I realized that that connection connection was important um I think I just experienced it and now that you talk about it I realize that it is <laughs> for me I always experienced it experienced it more as an abstract feeling that it was like naturally I was naturally connecting aspects of an experience that was always kind of dominated by music and when it becomes a memory it deconstructs and becomes like something can be the trigger this time and you know, like a smell can be the trigger, the music can be a trigger, seeing a person can be a trigger, you know. So do you then take those triggers and try to recreate them or like use them as a jumping point for future performances? Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, maybe you're not thinking about it at the time, but then you take those things and kind of try to use them actively in your next DJ sets or your next live performances. I think it's more when I make music in the studio. Mm. And I and I and again I don't think it's completely conscious. I think it's more. I think with it with the years I became better at giving those triggers or those sensations because they're really abstract. Actually, they're just like mm. these emotions, the worth that they actually have. They're like uh, signaling in a specific direction. In the music making process, is just the fact that you start trusting your intuition. And that's what that starts with those moments that you just um, described. Like it, are, those triggers are like what you take as a souvenir or like a or as an icon for like you know the whole um, spectrum around it, the whole halo of a situation. And then you take them mm-hmm. and you use them, and you like have them on the back of your mind as a sensation or something like this. I guess that's a good point because it maybe if you tried too hard to physically like actively use those triggers then maybe it would work against you in some way i guess so every time i try to be pretentious enough to do that <laughs> i i ended up uh, giving up or coming up with something else because i was like halfway giving up or i just felt like an imposter or something like this
So I wonder a bit about how the club or setting has to do with creating a, a sort of experience that touches all the senses in the way that we've been talking about. Like, does a club that has a really good sound system, for example, or a really good room or environment, does that also contribute to how physical the experience can be? Yeah, definitely. Especially a good sound system. Normally a good sound system is often not played, not placed in a shitty room. <laughs> Normally it's go, it goes like nice room, nice sound system, or sometimes actually not. Sometimes it goes like really nice sound system, very sterile room, mm. you know, but it definitely has to do with the, yeah, of course, a great sound system helps a lot in my opinion. The way a club looks and is distributed the the lights of a club or the no lights of a club and the sound mm. system, they definitely have a huge impact on the physicality. Do you think that clubs are starting to think more about those kinds of things? Like, I mean, I guess it's been a while since any of us have really gone out, mm. but um, yeah, I wonder if that's something that clubs are trying to create more of an environment that fosters that sort of experience. I think so. I, I think so. I think so. I think people are, I think, yeah. I mean, it's a really hard time to be stepping up, mm. but I think they are, or like, yeah, they're trying to make it better. And like, for them, it's a challenge. It's a challenge as well, because it's kind of like, they want to have this like nice place where the experience is really nice. So in my mind, something like really pushing the extremes in terms of volume and bass and things like reverb can be really crucial to having that physicality that we talked about. Um, mm -hmm. Would you say that that's true for you? It can be, but I think the selection is the, you know, mm. the selection is the, the, that's how you push it. Like you decide to play this instead of that. That's how you, right. that's how I would say that is, that's the most powerful tool that you have. Or like how many tracks are you playing at the same time? Or, and how, mm. and how do you decide that this is going to be like, you know, like how do you understand the sum of the tracks or the or the rest of of the silence or the emptiness and like you know the dynamics between within the set i think that's the most most powerful tool so is pushing the extremes in in the way that you just mentioned something that you like to do like i know that you come from a background that's more sort of on the punk or harder style of electronic music mm -hmm. um so is that something that you've carried over from your previous projects or experiences like this sort of intensity that we've been talking about definitely sometimes i feel like i get booked to do exactly that like with that <laughs> that specific intention and i appreciate it because i feel much more you know free to do but i also i also enjoy the extremely cheesy and extremely sweet stuff do you think that that intensity is something that you can only accomplish in a live setting like i imagine in the studio things maybe aren't as visceral as they could be when you're playing out um, they are not visceral in the same way, but the studio can be way more intense. Mm. The studio is like the like the studio when you are in tune with what you're doing and you're getting somewhere. Like right before you got there, like just when you get in there, is the best feeling that you can get. I, I feel like also like of course when you're listening to something that you like really like very very much, but it's more like when you are in the audience when you play it out. As well, sometimes you can get this feeling, but it's more like when you receive it, 
Because think that when you, for example, when you're playing, you hear everything through the monitors. You're not on the dance floor. Mm. So it's like, it's a little, it's slightly less overwhelming. Although you have, you have the kick that you actually play that track, that there's like this like extra kick or whatever. But in the studio, there's like a, there's intimacy. Mm. And that's very real as well. Like, mm. and, and we, when it comes to like, creating music and making your own music or playing your own music, you can have like, nobody's watching. You can have the biggest ego trip <laughs> in the world, shamelessly. And you're like, oh my God, I'm so good. Like, don't worry, in 40 minutes, you will hate it. But you can, but nobody can take away this moment where you're like, I am at the absolute shit. I am the best. Oh my God, I can't believe I did this. And then it's like, you, you enjoy the ego trip for a little bit, then you go back to normal and you probably hate yourself eventually but you know and that is really overwhelming as well I hadn't again I hadn't thought about this sort of more emotional side of it I was thinking more in like just an actual physical sense you know like a physicality that comes along with DJing like moving your body and touching the mixer and feeling like the heat of the dance floor and things like that um Mm -hmm. I guess that part of it doesn't exist in the studio so much no that doesn't exist in the studio Mm -hmm. um is that is that part of it something that you like and maybe try to recreate in in the studio like is there a way to kind of bridge that gap between having that sort of physical experience when you're DJing and bringing that into the studio somehow no definitely not because that's just like the whatever the amount of people you have in front of you and nothing can replace that but it's something that you like I love yeah yeah I like to see a lot of people at once doing their thing and like having reactions. and So is there something that you do during your time in the studio in order to create that sort of moment for yourself? Like I imagine that it's somehow a bit necessary to, in order to know if a track is going to work successfully on the dance floor. Like um, maybe you try playing it out on a sound system or something like that. Like what are you kind of doing to, to see if your track fits into that experience correctly? No, I don't recreate that feeling for myself in the studio. I just like put stuff in and in and in. And then uh, when, I, when I get to the booth, then something happens. And then I have to trust the decision I made in the studio earlier, basically. Uh-huh. I was going to say, I mean, yeah, um, yeah how, what, what is that trust like for you? Like, has it taken some time for you to get to that point where you just trust what you're doing? Yeah, it took me some time. But now I kind of know. Like, it's kind of like, oh, this is so good. Oh, this is so good. And sometimes it's things, there, there are things that you literally just played once when you when you heard it and it's like, oh my God, this is so good, I have to play this. And the, there's a first time for everything, but then you just like know that it's going to be great. And then once you kind of, and then once you're in the track, like when you're queuing it, then you recognize the track and then it goes really easily. But you you have to trust your previous decision, that's for sure. It also happened that, I was uh, mistakenly playing a track that I thought it was another track because I was feeling extra confident. And and then it's kind of like, oh, you're like literally in the mix because you don't remember how this track started. So you think, oh, yeah, this must be the thing. And you're like already, especially when you play like super long or like super late hours and yeah. things like this. You're, yeah, it happened before that I was kind of, when the track was like actually building and it was already like in the mix sounding super loud, you're like, Oh my God, I don't know what, what this is. And then something crazy happened and you're like, Oh my God, this was totally not the track. And you just mix it out. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) 
So I want to talk about your most recent album, A World of Service. Um, I think this album is something that really exemplifies this visceral sort of total sensory experience that we've been talking about. Um, Maybe you can just start by telling me a bit bit about the music and what went into its creation. That's really broad. (laughs) Um, Originally was a completely different record that I was trying to do for like three years, I guess the Time keeps passing, so soon will be four years. Um, basically, as soon as I finish the other one, like weightless. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. And but a lot of things got dismissed, and I changed my mind about what was going to go in my next record for like many, many times. And I think it was just because my feelings changed, and I mean, yeah, it was like. It was basically like my transition into my 30s, now that I'm thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And my mentality changed quite a lot during that time, very rapidly as well, but in a completely different way than in my 20s. Uh, when you say that your your ideas sort of changed, were you was it like you had some work done for it and then you had to redo everything, or was it just kind of tweaking things that you had already done? No, no, no. I dismissed the entire tracks. Wow. And, and like entire stems of tracks. And then I ended up using like an unrecognizable, you know, amount of the original tracks. Because, um, yeah, I just was like finding the results of what I was doing very mediocre. And I was struggling with it a lot. It was like a, an asymmetry between what I was imagining and the feeling that I, I was not able to execute what I wanted. Mm. And it was, it was like, and I didn't realize why. And I was like just hitting the wall and I don't know. And I, and also it was very, very different, difficult to escape my own biases and my own, you know, emotional peaks. Like now this is shit. Now this is great. And yeah, now you don't really have an opinion on what you're doing. Like you don't, you, I was not feeling what I needed to feel. So when did that, the, the switch happened where you started feeling happier with the work that you were making? When the lockdown happened. Mm. And yeah, when the lockdown happened and when I started therapy, basically. Okay. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. I mean, it's just like, it gives you the tool to get, you know, to get to know yourself better mm-hmm. and to, and it gives you a language that you can slowly learn. So then you understand why you feel the way you feel about the world in general. And since, to be honest, I don't feel so much of a separation between what I do and how I experience the world. It's always like a channeling thing. Now I understand that it's a channeling thing, but I didn't even understand that. And I was, for example, really focused and not obsessed, but like, you know, really focused on the idea of like executing something from a non-emotional point of view because I was dismissing emotions completely Mm. and uh, yeah and then you learn that you just mm, you're not that kind of artist or something Mm. I was gonna say maybe it was frustrating to have to do that restart that you did but also maybe the record wouldn't wouldn't be as good as it is if you hadn't experienced all of that I guess like um, the record wouldn't be what it is if I wouldn't started a process that le- that allows me to show myself mm. without constantly feeling um, self-aware. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 
is pretty much that. It's just a reflection of that, uh, of actually exercising mental dialogues in order to feel better, to, to, you know, overcome some stuff, like to feel better about yourself and to like exist in the world more pleasantly, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I really feel the sort of power and intensity that we've been talking about, especially in tracks like Camelo mm-hmm. and Busto, which mm-hmm. have these really big sort of swells and a lot of texture. Um, can you tell me about those tracks and maybe what feelings you were going for, what feelings you were experiencing when you made them? Camelo was really spontaneous. And the the voice was very spontaneous. The lyrics were very spontaneous. couldn't write in Spanish and then I was basically playing the game in my head that I would do like a caricature almost caricature because it's not in a funny way or in a dismissive way it's like mm-hmm. almost like when you when a child imitates it's not laughing about some something it's just imitating mm-hmm. it's like a some some sort of exercise like this of um of the tone of the traditional Asturian songs, some of them. It has like this cadence sometimes as well. Mm-hmm. And and I and I, because I couldn't I couldn't write anything in Spanish. Everything sounded extremely cheesy and I, I cringe. <laughs> and I couldn't. But then I realized that when I that when I was thinking about writing something for that tempo, it was really easy. And that is so weird. Mm. And then it just happened. And then the instrumental part of it, it was actually meant to be for another project, that it was not even for me. And then I took it. So what about the vocals that appear quite frequently on this album? Um, I love the track Louis. Louis. Yeah, Louis. Um, yeah. And I find that the vocals really give me like shivers, you know, it's like quite, for me, it's a very visceral experience listening to that, to that mm-hmm. track. Um, can you speak about how you achieved that sort of glitchy sort of sound the auto-tune um i guess so (laughs) (laughs) um it's just layers of different voice like it's just voice layers Mm. like harmonizing and like heavily processed Mm. and like recorded in a shitty way and then in a nice way and then using this effect and you know just like until it was sounding like a wish, basically, or like, yeah, something like the wind carries or something. Mm, I love that idea of like many layers of the same sort of harmony. Um, is that sort of multi-layered, like very textural concept, something that you work with very often? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, sometimes I get lost in it completely and everything sounds like crap because of that (laughs) (laughs) i guess it's hard to know when to like pull back on it i guess so because i become deaf at some point and i need external opinion immediately 
<laughs> so of course I have to ask about the album's cover, which I think is so cool. Um, mm. For people who haven't seen it, it's a photograph of a face. I'm not sure if it's your face, um, but surrounded by these flowers, and it almost looks like this sort of like decomposing or like like uh, like the face is sort of part of the forest. Um, can you tell me about the inspiration there and the thought process behind it? It was Matt Lambert shot this uh, cover and the insert as well, like the inner sleeve. Um, and they and he was just like we were talking about. I gave him like I gave him like really literally like few references. Like just I just said that the record was red, and that I didn't want a portrait. That I was oriented in composition, and I was actually initially thinking about um, how do you call it? Um, still life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I was thinking about. And that I was really very much focused in a composition of the whole frame of the picture. Like I didn't want it like, you know, something like my, I actually didn't want my, didn't want like my face necessarily or like something obvious or whatever. And then we were back, we, you know, gave each other references back and forth. And he, he heard the demo state of the record and he was just like, yeah, I got it. So when I go to the studio, I just found everybody there like makeup assistants you know production everything and him and they were building a bunch of stuff i was just i was not even confused i was just curious and very excited and for the first time in my life i just trusted you know (laughs) you know (laughs) yeah and they started like building this landscape this miniature landscape in my face on top of my face like little by little and transforming like little by little until I was completely covered in things that they were really difficult to remove from my face afterwards. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, it was great. It was it was entirely his idea. It's amazing. I really like how it turned out. Yeah. Um, I also like what that you said that the, that the album is red. I think that's so funny because I also really think about music in that way uh, in terms of mm-hmm. colors. Um, is that mm-hmm. something that you do? Like, do you normally have like a color association with the with the music that you're putting out? No, I mean, if you ask me which color is something, I could tell you, but it's not something that I think about. Mm. But I probably, but I can certainly tell you which color it is if you ask me. <laughs> Uh, I love the visual side to your work, like also the music video that you put out for this record and, you know, even the cover for your previous record, Weightless. Um, I think all the visual elements really speak so well to the musical content. So how do you find that sort of balance or that connection? Like, how do you create those associations or references? With Weightless, it was a moment, it was was a private moment. And it was just a, a conversation between... Pan and I, and it was just like it, you know, it was a picture that was already taken. It was, and it was like that's that's the cover, mm. and I was just like, yeah, actually, that's the cover, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and then she took she took the other she took all the pictures actually in the record, um, and it was just like it just happened, you know, like she like yeah, I had those, they're iPhone pictures, they're like photos mm. that they're like. Yeah, like a little bit of an archive, but they all like crossed my path, and then I, I knew or she knew, and we were like, we were just, but it, but it was really light. It was just like, oh, here, this is the cover. And it's like, yeah, that's right, that's the cover, that's it. 
in a normal conversation, not even in a conversation about deciding what is the cover, like whatever. And in the case of this one, as I said, like he took full control of how it was like going to look. For me, I had these notions in mind, these notions that I get gave Matt as a reference. I don't fully know why though. I know that I, you know, like there's like a, a certain like light or color or composition that you imagine, but I don't, I have no idea why. Mm. I didn't spend much time wondering either. I like that. Do you think that the connection between audio and visual is important generally? Like I'm wondering about maybe other visual elements that come into play where your music or your creativity is concerned. Like I know that you have talked previously about being very inspired by film. Um, Maybe you can speak to that. I think the uh, visual is very important, of course. But I think the, I mean, the the thing with visual is that often, most often takes over. Mm. And um, unless there is like an outstanding soundtrack or like it's really like aiming to catch your attention because it's like a, you know, like having a music video moment within a series or like a movie or something like this, they're like, it's like a target. It's like this moment of, you know, you pay attention to the track and everything is choreographed around it. Normally like music or sound sound in general is always, submitted to the video mm. format mm-hmm. because it's visual and that's how we receive information apparently right now. So I do think it's important. Um, I think it's very important. I think also from a music, uh, like from a producer or like a, a musician or an artist standpoint that is focusing on music, it can help you deliver your message more precisely. And that's uh, very interesting. sensory topic is the scent that goes along with the record. I love mm-hmm. that idea so much. Um, so how did mm-hmm. you come up with that idea? Talking to Alex Samuels, which was the um, uh, label manager of Postgood, it was in a very early stage. I think it was kind of like when he actually convinced me to make the record. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, then I'm making, then I'm going to do this record that I'm doing and like it's going to be like that. And because I was kind of, I don't know in which mental moment I was in that moment, but I was just kind of like, and I wanted to be scented, just like that. Like really like, <laughs> I wanted to smell because why not? I wanted to smell. I've been wanting to do something with the scent since a very long time. And I, and I just tried to see if he was saying yes. And he said, yes. He said like, that's a really cool idea. Let's do that. Yeah, and then we just it. did it. And then naturally talking to Mary Bonastre, which is the person that did the, the scent, um she just like um yeah like she understood immediately what I meant were you involved in 
it's making it all or were you more on the sort of creative side like how did that work exactly i met with Mary every once in a while and she was um bringing samples or like when i went to barcelona i was like like i could i could smell the state of it being made like its evolution and i could make remarks because she was always like asking for feedback but it was like really up to her she had like dev- like a, a few uh different uh mixes and they were all amazing the one that it's on the record it's one of the more um pleasant ones i would say there was a, there were another ones there was this one that was really metallic and it was smelling really like wet earth but cold like almost dystopian smell interesting um so i want to talk a bit about touring this record which i read online is going to be a multi-sensory sort of experience um so what other elements are going to be part of this tour i think it's the same elements as in the records in terms of like the dimension is visual um smell and sound basically um i am only in charge of the sound part <laughs> there is these other people doing i'm doing um the the visuals are done by ben knocknet we're working on it we've been slowly working on it for a while we're both really busy so it's not like well now we might i mean i might have a break and be like full on preparing the show but like yeah it's it's taking a little bit and you know bookings are being so slowly talked and you know we like it's real so i really need to like prepare it <laughs> like we really need to prepare it and then we've been um I don't know, we've been scheduling, we've been sketching the, the whole show quite a lot. So we kind of have a frame for it. But of course, like, we still need to, like, adjust that for, like, every festival slash stage okay. slash venue, like, whatever, whatever we do it. And yeah, like, the visual aspect is going to be very, very important. He's amazing, so I trust and how about the scent how are you incorporating that like i remember there's an installation i think at atonal or something similar Mm -hmm. where there was a scent involved and i think it's such an interesting use of space and it really made everything feel a lot more immersive Mm -hmm. um is that something that you are thinking about when you are incorporating the scent and the visuals and everything into this tour yeah i feel like it's i feel like smell is an is a sense that can clear your mind in a way that other things can't. Even if visual, it's clearly like you pay attention to it, but you you still have a choice to look away. And smell, mm. there's no escape, you know. And it's I find I find that the the scent that is on the record is quite pleasant, but it's still really organic. And the whole point was um, rooted in the in the in the smell of wet soil, mm-hmm. which is I feel. Uh, cleaning smell or like cleansing how would you say that yeah that's right yeah yeah cleansing yeah <laughs> yeah like i think it's a yeah like it puts you in this place that is immediately intimate because almost everybody has an intimate relationship with that smell i feel mm-hmm. unless you don't come from it unless you come from a place where it never rains then it's kind of like a different relationship to it but like if you know the or like, yeah, even in the city, like the smell after rain or something like this. So do you think that 
grounding music in these other senses also helps to make it into something that's that has like more emotional memory or weight. Like you're saying, you know, a scent can transport you back to wherever. Um, do you think that like having scent involved with music helps to kind of ground it in that same way and like bring forth those memories a bit more? Yeah. I don't know if in a memory sense, but definitely in a way that I want to be able to engage with people and to meet them horizontally in order to have a conversation with them. And for that, you need a certain type of connection right away, like from the start. And it's, uh, and I think Ascent really helps. I think it really like, you know, unless you have like a trauma with this kind of scent, then it's kind of like, oh my God, no. And then I'm, you know, achieving the right, the opposite. But I think in general it's, I don't know, it's, it's an invitation, really. Would you say that some of your most formative musical memories are linked with other senses? For example, like for me personally, I have a really fond memory of drinking like this certain drink every time I went to this festival in Montreal with a friend of mine. And anytime I have that drink now, I think about that time and that music that I was listening to. Um, so is that something that resonates with you? Like, do you have sort of memories where music and your other senses kind of combine it to make this very immersive memory? Very much. I love rituals. I, I think it's really difficult to purposely try to have people have that feeling, you know, about your show or about whatever you do. I think that just happens. I just invite that to to happen. But I think I think that can't really happen voluntarily. On my own experience, like the moments that I have like that are just like randomly colliding, you know, like probably like if someone is completely freshly in love and I'm playing in this like amazing venue and it mm. smells like this and then the lights go off and then they go on and then this image you know probably <laughs> the next time they will have like a you know like a feeling or something but I don't think I can I can control that so what about for you personally like do you have memories like that definitely yeah yeah I definitely have there's like some sort of little ones like some little experience like everyday experiences that never get old and I don't know if that already like belongs to the addiction department (laughs) and that's why you know and that's what why that happens but I know that that's like a recurrent thing like I really yes like I I am very much connecting similar experiences all the time and like yeah trying to yeah I do have a, a lot of stock of that kind of stuff you said already that it's hard to control whether or not music or your music has that kind of transportive quality. Um, but is it something that you are actively trying to create? I think I, I, I don't think yes and no. I don't think so if, if you would, I'm not classically tra- uh, trained, you know, so I don't know which chord progression will make you feel this or that. Mm. I mean, I know that instinctively, but I don't have the technical knowledge to, I mean, if I can actively avoid it as well. Hmm. Um, just like avoid some certain type of sounds or like some certain type of chords and just like go have like some dissonance or something. But hmm. I don't know, like in general, I'm a little bit of, um, I end up falling for it a little bit. like. I don't purposely make it f- to other people. I make it to myself somehow, you know? Like I just like, I like to have this emotion. 
Now I'm trying not to repeat the emotion. I think with this record, I was really trying, like I was like focusing not repeating the type of emotion so much. It was like a, a wider range and more like open in a way. But like, yeah, of course, like there's some aim to inflict feeling, but first to myself actually. And almost like when I don't feel this like emotional response, it's like, is, is it mediocre? Is it not good enough or something? So how else are you hoping to deepen or intensify the sensory experience where music is concerned like you already have scent and you have visuals and you've got the music um is there something else that you're interested in bringing in in terms of your touring or your records no i think that's quite i think that's enough also like i don't um i don't intend to like i don't know maybe i come up with something someday but like not not right now maybe someday i'm, I'm start like doing crazy performances like among the people or something or I change the type of smell with I don't know rotten goat milk or something but until then I am looking forward to the end of this uh health emergency like you know sanitary emergency whatever um but besides that I I don't know I just like I'm at the moment I'm just like wanting to have a quiet one for a little bit and like, just like be, um, yeah, calm, I think is what I'm striving for, for a little bit. listening to Jas for Air Podcast episode 41. We'll be back on the last Wednesday of the month with another episode, so check back in February for episode 42. In the meantime, you can follow us on Instagram at at underscore air podcast or support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash air podcast. Thanks for listening.